clear. You've been putting down two, three scores a month. You want to put down contract scores all over the country, working directly for me? I am self-employed. Geisty Lice. Just diamonds or cash. Fine. I'll make you a millionaire in four months. I wear $150 slacks. I wear silk shirts. I wear $800 suits. I wear a gold watch. I wear a perfect D flawless three carat ring. I'm a thief. Do you think that I have been waiting for you to come along? You gonna marry her and have some kids? Yes. Hey, I'm talking to you. Hey. Hey, what? What is going on in your life that is so terrific? I'm just, I'm just asking you to be with me. Go. We got a problem. I want my money. We new partners. We in for ten points. I am the last guy you want to mess with. You get paid what I say. You do what I say. You don't know from one day to the next whether you're going to be killed, go home, or get busted. What's wrong with you? James Caan. Thief. So I go down these rabbit holes, right? Like, uh-huh. y- you know how I do this, this YouTube rabbit hole. Yeah. So I went down uh, an 80s beer commercial rabbit hole oh, uh, yeah. earlier today. That's it was. Fun. Um, have you ever met anyone that's actually had a Michelob? <laughs> Just a straight Michelob? Uh, Just a straight, like you go to, well, back when we could go to bars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like just shoot up to the barn bartender i'll take a michelob or a michelob light yeah um i've i've known miller genuine draft which is just not it's not michelob at all yeah but but in michelob no. light those were the two like really popular beers at the bar i worked at um, <laughs> really? in my hometown so you do know people I, yeah, I mean, well, it was michelob light it was, and i think we had michelob but people drank the mgd's and Michelob lights and 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 Coors Light was the regional like uh, mm-hmm. hugest one. Like we went through Coors Light like like I don't know like water. I mean, it was the cheapest. It was it was always moving. It's like the standard like light beer that everyone got. But, yeah, I I went through a Coors phase, but it was like Coors Extra Gold. Ooh, Extra Gold. Yeah, yeah, Gold. It had actual gold in it. <laughs> right, that's why it's so popular. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and expensive. Yeah, very pricey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's great to be back in the in the booth with you in the in the you know back at Recon Cinema Studios. Yeah, welcome back. We 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 we're all cleaned up. We sanitized everything. We're we're ready to yeah. go. We're back. Clean, so- socially distant. Mm-hmm. I have the team scrub and clean everything. Once, usually once an hour and just just mm-hmm. to be on the safe side yeah 
I mean, it's it's generally just us and the cleaning crew, but mm-hmm. you can't take you can't take any risks. I like the smell of Lysol. I just I've learned to love it. Pine pine the pine fresh smell of any any product. Uh, I like fake mm-hmm. pine. Um, or fake lemon. So like, I mean, so yeah, I mean, Lysol's right up my alley with, uh, yeah, with the, the lemon smell. Um, but I insist on pine salt for the floors. So, um, well, and if you drink it, you know, then, then you're extra good. So we all know that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you've caught me doing that quite a few times. <laughs> no, <laughs> multiple, not the first time this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god well it's it's great to be back here uh welcome back to reconsinimation i am john diner and i'm david munchak and this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s 80s and 90s and where are we going today what are we what year what year do you want to hit i'm feeling saucy let's go back to a year no one likes to talk about but it's still part of the the timeline um i'm thinking 1981 kind of an off year i love it you're totally correct nobody ever talks about 1981 did anything happen that year i mean it's literally the year of of zero of zero happenings (laughs) all across the globe (laughs) nothing happened no one cares did it skip from 80 to 82 because i think it it must have in most people's memory yeah i think no one ever (laughs) everything they remember like yeah I remember Christmas Eve. I remember New Year's of 1980. And then, I don't know. It's just a blur. And then it was 82 all of a sudden. I mean. Yeah, it's all it's all a jumble to me. I, the first thing I remember is like 84, you know, that that zone. 84, that was, that's when things started to, to pick up. That's, yeah. That was a solid year. My brain turned on that year, let's yeah. say. Let's just say. <laughs> the memories are there. Um but before we get into you know the movie we're covering, what are you are you watching anything right now? You know we've been we've all been cooped up at home for a while, or at least as we're recording this. Uh, you got anything uh, anything you're going through on you know streaming or whatever? Um, I mean I'm I'm bounce all over the place. Um, I, I just getting into that show uh, Search Party, which uh, mm-hmm. which is a TBS show, which is mm-hmm. is uh, I don't have cable television, but um, I do have access to the Max, HBO Max, uh, nice. and it's on there. So that, that this thing that I've been thinking about for like three or four years, I finally have access to, and uh, yeah, binging that, a lot of fun, really like it. Nice. Yeah. What about yeah, you? Good, good. What are you? What are you glomming onto? Are you streaming? Are you I'm kinda, binging? Are I'm you... all over the place. I I. Uh... Let's see. I did uh, Battlestar Galactica. Um, mm-hmm. I also mm-hmm. got HBO Max, so nice. I caught up on a few seasons of some shows like Silicon Valley that I hadn't finished uh, since the last time I had HBO. Mm-hmm. And what else? I watched War Games recently. Ooh. So, you know, I, and I watched like you know, an, like older westerns. Like I'm watching Rio Bravo, and uh, you know, we we talked about that on our Assault on Precinct Thirteen episode, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which was uh, a lot of fun to talk with uh, our friend E.K. Wimmer on that one. You can mm-hmm. find that in the archives at www.reconsideration.com. But uh, it got me thinking about the movie. I haven't seen it in forever, so uh, watch that and. You know, I'm all over the place, but anything, you know, like, like our show, anything prior to 2002. 
Okay, yeah. You won't watch anything that's be- I won't. <laughs> newer I won't than that. <laughs> Except shows. <laughs> Except TV shows. TV shows are acceptable. <laughs> movies, no good yeah. movies. No movies exist after 2002. Yeah, except Marvel, you know, and oh. like three other movies. There you go. See, look, you like yeah. you like c- certain movies, certain movies, certain yeah. movies. But um, that's fun. All right, so we'll we're gonna we're gonna dial our way back machine to 1981, the glorious year of 81, Ugh. and uh, I we are going to take a look at uh, technically Michael Mann's first feature film, Thief, starring James Caan. Thief. I've seen this movie. You've seen it. I've seen I, it. I would hope that you've seen the movies that we're talking about on the show <laughs> at some point. Even if you finished it like right before we start rolling, I st- uh, that'd be good. <laughs> It'd be funny. Like I still have 15 minutes left on a movie that, and then I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, tra- I'm just watching it with captions on while we're recording. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about the ending though. <laughs> and then I finally see the ending, and then. <laughs> You just go into a coughing fit while I talk about the ending, and then <laughs> right. you're back. And I'm like, yeah, I agree with all that. <laughs> it'd be funny. It'd be a funny uh, piece well, of trivia if I could get away with not seeing a film <laughs> and somehow fool you. Um, but you're pretty astute, so I, I don't think I could pull one over on you. That'd be pretty genius if you did, though. I'd, <laughs> I'd give you credit for that. If you actually fooled me, that would, that would be amazing. Yeah, I think you'd catch on pretty quick, though. I'm not that clever. <laughs> uh, let's see. So when was uh, when did Thief first come on your radar? When do you remember hearing about it, or when did you see it? My awareness of it wasn't until five or six years ago, let's say. Um, did it co- did it coincide with anything in particular? Nah, no big thing. Just just suddenly <laughs> appeared in the as a thing I had to see. Um, I mean, I guess it could it could have been around the time when I first met you. That's you know, it actually <laughs> that yeah, that's it. So I'd heard I I didn't I really don't think I knew this movie existed like for any reason. I mean, it's possible I would have seen the poster or, or the cover of it or whatever and said, oh yeah yeah that whatever that is, but. Um, and, but I think I learned about what the movie was and I think the first time I saw it was, I think four, four and a half years ago. I think I just sort of popped it in. It was time to, it was time to see this thing. Um, because you, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you, you, I lectured you about, about it so many times. Yeah. A lot of references to it and stuff. And, uh, it, you know, it was, it's one of those films I had to, I had to see. So, um, I, uh, yeah, four, four and a half. Four and a half years, four years, uh, yeah, and that's it. And I, of course, rewatched it for this show. And uh, those are the two times I've seen Thief. All how, right. How many times have you seen Thief? If if it's less oh, than God, sixty, I'll be times? I'll be surprised if it's less than sixty. <laughs> I've probably seen this movie. I want to say six or seven times. That right. that's going to be the real number. Oh, okay. So okay. A, a fair amount, enough to know it well. You can you you can sort of start reciting the lines as they happen in a lot of the scenes. Yeah, yeah. You're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't I can't do that Chicago accent like you can though. Oh yeah, my famous Chicago <laughs> accent. Famous, world famous, <laughs> world famous. I'm not going to attempt it here. Uh, yeah, the first time. I remember seeing, okay, I th- I feel like when I was a kid, 
back in maybe the late 80s. I feel like T- WTBS would uh, run this movie every so often. <laughs> I feel like I remember seeing commercials for it and, you know, just James Caan with the gun, you know, and that, that, that super awesome pose that he does. Yeah. Um, you know, so it would have been at like, you know, your 605, your 805, that TBS uh, random schedule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, and then once I started working at Suncoast, uh, then I, I totally had forgotten about the movie. And it, you're right. It was one of those movies that just wasn't on the radar for, you know, almost all of our youth. It wasn't, you know, wasn't that much of a fan favorite. It wasn't popular. You know, James Khan wasn't particularly trendy or anything, at least until Misery, I want to say, in 1990. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this movie was just, it was part of that MGM library that, you know, was big on home video, but nowhere else there wasn't really a lot of buzz about it. Even Michael Mann, as we'll get into, you know, Miami Vice and, and um, you know, Last of the Mohicans, that's more of what he was known for as we went into the 90s uh, up until Heat, and of course that took over. But um, I picked it up on video, and I remember watching this movie. You know, I watched it first, loved it. And then I would show my my friends at uh, the College of Santa Fe. There was a period of time where we would watch this movie in bits and pieces, mm-hmm. <laughs> like between classes. So we would watch it like ten minutes here, ten minutes there. <laughs> Terrible way to watch the movie. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to. It's not as enjoyable. <laughs> no, it's no, not but, a. Uh, it's not know, a quibby. It's not a quibby. <laughs> You know, but, uh, but no, I loved it. I was I was very into this movie, and uh, yeah. you know, I, I love as we'll talk about Michael Mann's body of work. Uh, I'm a big Michael Mann fan, at least the first you know kind of half of his career, and then I feel like recently he's he's gotten a little more. He's just changed, I think, as most directors do with age. Mm-hmm. Uh, his style has changed, and I don't know if I love it as much, but. You know, there's certain Michael Mann films that are always going to be near and dear to my heart, and this is one of them. Hmm. Was this your first Mann film? Like, what was the first Michael Mann uh, film you've ever seen? Do you think? Could you track that? Well, it depends. It, it it depends if you count the Miami Vice pilot or not, because technically he didn't direct it. But if anybody's seen it, like that's certainly a Michael Mann. Uh, show mm-hmm. um, and movie, you know, the pilot is like a two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, I, I would say, Last of the Mohicans was the first one that I knew was Michael Mann. Got it. Uh, I saw that one, you know, right after it came out on video, and then definitely Heat, mm-hmm. and that's where it was like, oh, who is Michael Mann? And that's when I went back and saw Thief and Manhunter, and and went down a hole into the man, the, the MCU, the real MCU. The Man Cinematic Universe. The Man, yeah, yeah, yeah the original MCU. Um, <laughs> they're all connected. They it'd be great if all these movies were connected. Oh my, well, well, I have a theory. Ooh, I have a theory, and we've we've talked about this back in our our episode covering the Driver, right? Uh, way back in season was that the end of season one or beginning of two? I feel like it was the beginning of two, but I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was the beginning of two. Yeah. So like long ago, last we're summer. deep in this in the year three now. So year three of this show, can, can you believe it? <clears throat> but before I get into that, I I was uh, you know what really attracted me to this movie was was James Caan. I was a big 
grew up a big James Caan fan. Sure. He was all over your your The Godfather. That's yeah. Po- yeah. Well, I was nine when I uh, saw The Godfather and was in love with it. And Sonny Corleone was my favorite character. Sure. And as, as a nine-year-old, I thought he was just the ultimate coolest guy. And I wanted to be James Caan. So I used to... Um, I used to try to keep my shoulders like positioned like James Conn's because he had this very, you know, this very particular kind of frame. Oh, <laughs> and, interesting. Uh, I, like, yeah, I was a dork and uh, weird. So. <laughs> when I was nine, I think I wanted to be a, an, either a Ninja Turtle or a Ghostbuster. So, you know, at least you're <laughs> looking up to a more realistic uh I don't know <laughs> portrayal or role yeah, model. That's that's where my nine-year-old brain was all about Sonny Corleone. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, James Caan was was the big reason. I you know seeing the poster of him. There's a couple of different posters. One of them, yeah, I think it was the VHSs that had different covers. But one is like him standing with like a leather jacket on like a street corner, mm-hmm. um, or like under a bridge or something. That's uh, that's that was the image. I was like, oh man, he's cool again. Look at him. <laughs> he he does exude a certain coolness in this. That is, um, and especially the and especially the way he holds a gun. I, does anyone hold a gun the way he does in this film? I mean, it's not that it's not that it's inaccurate or or, or anything, but it's just the way he plays with a gun is so interesting to me. Um, because he, I guess he maybe he just has such a grace to his movements, um, mm-hmm. and everything. And he, just the way he carries himself and, uh, you know, I, you, I feel like I've, I'm seeing a, I'm seeing that like, I don't know, Khan is like, he's like lost in this character. Like the, the that yeah. Frank is really the one controlling everything. You know, like Frank is a real mm-hmm. person person. And I mean, I think we'll speak to like the performances of this, but like, I think he, he and along with other people really bring their characters to life. And Frank is very specific and, uh, I can absolutely, I, I like how cool he is. Uh, and not in that way that like, uh, Paul Newman's cool or, you know, it's, it's very different, very distinct. Yeah. It's very different. It's, you know, I, I guess I could see, I couldn't see Paul Newman playing this kind of character. I mean, characters similar, but mm-hmm. he's usually not quite so dark personally. Like I could see McQueen playing, mm. playing Frank, uh, yeah. you know, a younger McQueen. But uh, so James Conn is a little bit more along those lines to mm-hmm. me, but definitely his own aura of coolness for mm-hmm. sure here. Yeah. It's so I could see why James Conn in general uh, is someone to, to be, to be, uh, trying to be like, but then to see him like in this particular role too is like a a, a fresh, a fresh way to look at him. He's he's I don't know mm-hmm. he's pretty neat. I like him. So I have this theory <clears throat> that I have this theory that some that there is a world. Okay, there is a cinematic universe where you could, in theory, connect uh, James Con in this film. Uh, Ryan O'Neill in The Driver. Oh, that's right. Ryan Gosling in Drive and Robert De Niro in Heat. That these four characters could essentially at their core be the same person. Now, right. they're not. There are different characters. They're in, you know, completely different movies. 
Uh, I mean, you could probably make a case at least for heat and thief that maybe you, maybe there's some kind of correlation but uh but really look at the characters and how they their principles that they go by they have have these very similar moral codes that they live by uh that you know it could be that it, it, like ryan gosling is the earliest version of this character mm -hmm. as the driver and then obviously that would could lead you know as he's a little older becomes ryan o'neill in the driver a mm -hmm. little bit older becomes uh you know james Kahn in thief and then you know uh, even a little bit older would be de niro in heat like there is to me i see this through line between these characters now of course you could break that down and come up with a million reasons why they're not it's just just a theory just for fun yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's not it's certainly not a, a uh, an intentional thing that's you know that's supposed to be the same character but you can imagine one guy at different stages of his life um with all those roles so yeah i mean yeah that's right it was the I, the driver unification theory i think it was um, <laughs> yes, it was. The, your grand uh, also known as also known as the ddthcu <laughs> right yes um but yeah like so this is this is this guy in this sort of middle middle of his uh of his path right i guess mm -hmm. uh, yeah yeah. yeah, this would be, you know, middle kind of leading to the end of his path. And, of course, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, how the character of Frank gets to that point and, and everything that's going on with this ending. Because um, the ending was really, the ending is the moving part of this movie. You know, there's a couple of really key scenes, but the ending was very powerful to me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That, yes, I could see that, especially for a young man like yourself. And I'm surprised, you know, when I look at our show, our podcast, you know, I'm, I'm such a big Michael Mann fan. It was surprising to me that I hadn't come around to him earlier on the show. This is the first Michael Mann movie we're covering. That's right. After after over 70 some episodes, uh, now we finally get to Mann. I can't believe it. Yeah. We could have done a we could have just done a Mann cast uh, and just done Michael Mann films. <laughs> it wouldn't last 70 oh episodes, but uh, yeah, there's still loves of things that um, both of us have that we still haven't gotten around to. So I'm glad we could uh, usher Michael Mann in. Welcome to the show, Michael. Appreciate, appreciate uh, what you've done for cinema and we're going to talk about it. Yeah. He's had a, a bigger impact, especially to the eighties than I think maybe people realize uh, mm -hmm. who maybe aren't familiar with his work, but it, it kind of starts with thief. Um, yeah. Michael Mann uh, grew up with uh, an interest in architecture and structures. And then after seeing Dr. Strangelove, he got, uh, you know, extremely fascinated with film and knew that was, that was the direction he wanted to go. But he always had an eye for, um, a certain visual style which he's going to fine-tune and really like exemplify in this film uh, mm -hmm. and many after that uh, he went to film school in london uh started doing short films and commercials uh along or you know around the same i think he's in the same class you know same group as like ridley scott and a few other people that um are all coming up at around the same time um you know ridley scott's uh first big film is alien and Michael Mann's is Thief. They're right around the same time period. So mm. uh, they're kind of coming in together. 
he started writing. He started writing for TV uh, after being mentored by another TV writer. Uh, he wrote some Starsky and Hutch episodes. He wrote the pilot for uh, for Vegas. I don't know if you remember that show, Vegas. Like Did the, you ever see that as a kid? The old Vegas show? Yeah, I've never. I know. I know of it, but I've never seen it. No. Now that's not Las Vegas starring James Caan. Right. That's Vegas starring Robert uh, Robert Urich. That's right. Robert Urich. <laughs> um, Love yeah, that guy. There's a name. R.I.P. <laughs> there's a name from the past. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that with us? Uh, he also wrote for Police Story, uh, where he's, you know, as he's writing for these shows, he's starting to work with, you know, police officers who are technical advisors, and he's starting to kind of see the world of of cops and police and what is really going on, uh, and with with them. Um, he wrote a film called Straight Time, or at least he wrote the first draft. That's a Dustin Hoffman film that. I also would love to cover for this. I haven't seen it in forever, but um, it's it's one of Hoffman's better '70s films. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, he wrote the first the first draft of that, and then I think it kind of moved in a different creative direction. But he does uh, he wrote and directed a TV movie, which is I guess technically his first you know feature length project called The Jericho Mile, which was shot at. Uh, Folsom prison in California. Uh, and it's about, you know, the, just the, the inmates in this one particular prison and this one leading character who gets into, into running and, and, you know, there's a whole subplot about that. But, um, uh, while he's doing that, then he starts to meet some inmates and hear, you know, stories of how these guys got there and these criminals and their backstories. And he's got this, this really growing fascination about crime criminals police and criminals and their relationships and mm-hmm. that is something that he's going to latch onto and going to be a recurring theme all the way through his career really yeah he really likes cops and stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cops and criminals the system the system that weighs criminals down the cops who have to abide by it but knowing that you know not every criminal is a bad guy not every cop is a good guy it seems to be you know at least part of part of the story of what he he likes to tell Mm -hmm. Uh, you know well yeah i mean it's 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 in so many of his projects i mean it's it's thief it's miami vice it's manhunter it's heat it's uh public enemies it's uh collateral Mm -hmm. yeah he's yeah, and, that, yeah what's the last thing the, the last thing he directed was what black hat black hat is that with uh hayden christensen your buddy D- uh no. no what's his name <laughs> thor it's with thor your buddy thor liam liam hutchinson hemsworth liam hemsworth i can't remember actor's name no it's not liam it's the other Hemsworth. it's chris hemsworth oh, it's chris hemsworth <laughs> it's thor thor liam is yeah. his brother okay and, isn't there, and there, we've, there's a third Hemsworth somewhere. There's some third Hemsworth P, somewhere PJ, in the world. I think it's PJ Hemsworth. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, as far as Thief goes, though, uh, it's based on... He, he based the story and the screenplay he wrote on a, a book called The Home Invaders, Confessions of a Cat Burglar by Frank Hoheimer. Now, Frank Hoheimer is a pseudonym most likely by the career criminal 
John Sabold, who, you know, there's not, it's not proven that he is the guy who wrote this book, but that's, that's the story that's out there. There's, everyone is led to believe that this was the guy that wrote it. Um, So, and he didn't, it's not really like, if you read that book, it's sort of a blueprint of how the mind of Frank, the character works and how he, it's a lot of the mechanics of breaking into, you know, a home, when to do it, when not to, very strict rules and guidelines, how to do it without, uh, you know, how to like circumvent dogs and, and kids waking up and doing it in a way that doesn't hurt anybody. Um, you know, like, wow, it, very, it's very strict rules that he goes by, but you can really see that in, in uh, the Frank character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then also goes into, you know, after he's caught, you know, into the corruption of the, you know, the, the police system and the, even the FBI, I think, you know, the, there's so much, there was so much corruption that, um, the book is sort of telling multiple stories here, but, so he didn't really, he's not telling like the life story of this guy. He just took that kind of general idea and concept and made his own story out of that. So yeah. uh, I, I think, you know, when you hear Michael Mann talk about it, you know, he really only even put the credit on because they had, they had to legally, like he had, he had to option the story. And then of course they're kind of tied together at that point. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he really doesn't like people saying it's based on it, but it's it's based on a general idea of that novel. Gotcha. Okay. So okay, he's not adapting the novel. He's no, uh, no, he's, definitely not. Yeah, got it. But it, but it really does contain a lot of the themes for his characters, and you know, I think he's going to use elements of that, or just you know, I, I think maybe those ideas were already gestating in his head, and and it really just matched up here. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm sure he's he's drawn to like certain characteristics of of these of these types of guys, you know, and I'm sure he saw like a, you know, uh, the, that novel and, you know, Frank, the, their kindred spirits kind of thing, you know, so they're not, mm-hmm. they're yeah. not quite the same, but they're certainly, you know, from the same cloth kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And this, um, you know, as he develops the film, uh, thief really is the blueprint for, you know that Michael Mann cinematic universe. Like this is, uh, this is a very visual movie. I, I think this is probably up until some of his recent stuff, maybe his most visual. Probably, yeah, probably, right. Like uh... there's so many shots. Like like there's shots where he's just he's looking at inanimate objects for quite some time. You mm-hmm. know, you're looking at. <clears throat> excuse me, alleys or fire escapes or, you know, some of his patented things like the hood of a car. Um, you're looking at lights and mm-hmm. doing s- very slow pans until you catch up with your characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much, you know, we're going to get into the technical precision of of this movie because there's also some really long scenes and shots where, you're looking at the mechanics of everything and they're showing you like, these are the tools and the, this is how a safe is broken into. And, and uh, we'll, we'll explore that in a little bit. Okay. Um, but this movie also, you know, when you, all right. So since you're newer to this movie, mm-hmm. do you, in your mind, do you categorize this as a seventies film or an eighties film? 
it's 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 a it's it's it seems like a 70s movie to me for the for the most part uh but i feel like there's there's this is like a jumping off point like and i i and i'm sure that makes sense because it's man's first film um and you know it's it's a it's his fresh take on something i don't know it's to me it feels very 70s but it has a something new about it like a new feel um yeah like an additional layer or two to it i don't know that's me um based on like what i've been exposed to (laughs) um i feel like it's a nice introduction to the 80s like in terms of uh i don't know there's mm, uh boy i sound i agree i mean i agree with you i'm totally on the same page with you yeah I, uh... i don't know how to categorize it and i sound really silly about it but um yeah I, to me it's it's like 70s plus <laughs> you know it's like an edition. yeah i mean yeah to me it, it it's a bridge it bridges the 70s and the 80s and of course you know it fits right in that spot falling in 1981 or shot in 1980 mm-hmm. um it, you know it, it falls into both categories because it it feels like a 70s movie it has the tone of a 70s movie um but it's got that visual flair that you associate, which which would be popularized with Miami Vice. I mean, it looks like it, like visually, it looks like an '80s movie, yeah, but feels like a '70s movie. So, yeah. it, it, to me, like Thief is the ultimate bridge between a '70s and an '80s film. Mm-hmm. I agree with you totally. Uh, maybe maybe there is something to uh, like. T- it, it it does. It feels like it's like it's, it's of its own era of itself, and like I guess like the, what that was, what's kind of cool about your unification theory among all those characters too is like they're very distinct time periods almost for 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 mm-hmm. in that sense. And like this is one of them. Like this is this is unlike this all, all the seventies in some respects, and it is an introduction, yeah, to to what eighties movies will become. I think um, I think that's spot on. Yeah, and, and Michael Mann becomes such an important part of the 80s. I mean, Miami Vice, like when you think 80s, like Miami Vice is for a lot of people the, the thing that pops in people's minds. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, well, I mean, and that was like so innovative with the music and the, st- the clothes and the hair. And then on top of this like bombastic uh, filming style kind of. Well, I guess not, maybe not bombastic, but right. So that's iconic well it's a very it's it's yeah it's iconic it's very um stylized it's very you know it it, i mean it look michael mann is one of those directors that we've talked about before that has like you can turn one frame on and you know it's a michael mann movie Mm -hmm. um you know not there's not a lot of directors that have that distinct style um but he's certainly one of them and it starts, you know, again, it starts with this movie. And, and you know, there's so much that he does with reflections and the way everything is lit. I mean, he does, obviously, lighting is a major part of, of the visual uh, medium. But he, I feel like he just uses, physically uses lights in the shot um, as, you know, there's meaning behind them. Mm-hmm. Like in this movie... You know, he does so much with light and shadow. He uses, you know, there's there's a whole 
this is really deep diving into it, but there are red and green lights that come on at very particular moments in the movie that are really meant to be like a like a warning, danger, danger. You're near danger, Frank. Mm. <laughs> um, you know, when he gets a certain phone call, like there's there's a green light that like pops up nearby and and you know that's when you've watched the movie many times you start Mm -hmm. to notice that stuff but it's definitely it's there on purpose you know it was it was um definitely conceived and and used intentionally so green and red lights uh portended for like bad situations or uh uh, or trouble or death or whatever yeah Wow. Yeah, it's not like like red is bad and green is good. You know, yeah. it's not that. It's yeah. like, um, you know, both of those colors are used for the same thing. Uh, you know, white uses these these um, very uh, industrial looking white colors. Uh, you know, in the hospital and then in the when he's trying to adopt the baby and then with the police. Um, you know, so there's very. Mm. It's just lay, really layering a texture, a visual texture. Could could the red and green lights and the negative connotation with that? Do you think it's his private war on Christmas, though? Is he saying? Oh man, Christmas hates Christmas. Been, oh yeah, yeah, he's a Christmas hater, right? He's never done a Christmas movie, as far as I can tell. <laughs> He'll I mean, never do an "I'll Be Home for Christmas" three. He'll never do that. He never will. Like, and I mean, <laughs> if a director doesn't do a Christmas movie, I assume they hate Christmas. That's just a yeah, fact. I yeah. mean, that's that's Hollywood right there. I think that's on Michael Mann's Hollywood contract. No <laughs> Christmas. I'll never period. do Christmas. <laughs> oh. Men don't do Christmas. <laughs> it could be that even in the worlds he's establishing, Christmas was never invented. Like maybe maybe there is no Christmas. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. We have to well, check. Well, now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Thinking quickly on on his body of work, I don't remember a single Christmas scene. Well, huh? Interesting. I have to check like Ali again. I, I don't remember that one that well. Oh right. Well, he's not. You know, Ali wasn't part of the Man Universe, but but maybe I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Does Michael Mann hate Christmas? <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, you know, the other thing that was very, that's very important to Michael Mann in all of his films, mm-hmm. uh, but really, again, starting with this one, mm-hmm. is authenticity. And he strove for that uh, like nothing else. I mean, that was the main, one of the main driving forces of how this movie was going to be made, that it had to be authentic. It had to feel real. It had to look real. You had to buy that James Caan movie star is not James Conn. He is Frank. Frank is an expert thief, a high-level thief who, you know, does does high-level jobs with, you know, a high amount of risk. Um, so he had, uh, you know, he really had to use his, the, the friends that he made kind of along the way, both in the police, the world of police and the world of, of crime. Um, he uh, became friends with a, a, a Chicago cop named Chuck Adamson, who would, you know, as he's writing this story and they're talking about it, Chuck Adamson introduces him to John Santucci and W. Earl Bill Brown, who both are have roles in this movie, but they're they are like the real Frank. They are high level thieves who are 
you know, very similar to that character. Um, and it's funny that, you know, cops and cops, these cops and criminals have like a respect for each other. So oh, sure. in a way, it's like they become friends when they're not tracking each other down. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, yeah, because what these were those guys? One of them was like a real safe cracker, right? Like, literally knows how to crack safes, like Frank does, right? Yeah, John Santucci, who plays uh, the the cop Uritzi, who's you know kind of st- almost stalking Frank in the mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. In real life, yeah, he's a big time safe cracker. Uh, and at this point, he had stopped doing that. I think he did like a three year stint in jail, uh, so he had kind of gone clean after that. So, um, you know, thus, I think he had the relationship with a better relationship with Adamson. But, yeah. you know, he's a very important technical advisor in this movie. The tools that they use, A, are are real safe cracking tools, or at yeah. least at the time. Yeah. And those, I think, were <laughs> Santucci's actual tools they that he still to... had. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's cool. So he got a box rental as well as a... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> twenty five bucks a week <laughs> to use the safe tool, but yeah, I think uh, you're right. Like the authenticity of it, like to have that whole opening sequence um, without any dialogue, more or less. You know, it's just people doing their jobs, and it's an involved process, and there's a lot of steps and parallel action going on, and it's it it's not like a necessarily building tension, but it is you're like along for this ride and you're like you by by the time he gets that safe open i think you're kind of like amped up like yeah he got it like he got through this is insane because it's all these little steps and there's there's details that are in the frame but you if you're not paying attention you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily notice like just like the number of flashlights that hang around to like give him the light like and it's done in a very particular way like they like low powered flashlights they're not going to give off a lot of light but they're taped Mm-hmm. around you know you notice them but like there's like the, there's just like these little flourishes and just or you know the way the the equipment belushi belushi jim belushi's character uh uses um when he's when he's tapping on the alarms and the phone lines and all that and it's just like an involved um thing i think it's i yeah that authenticity of it it makes it seem so real i couldn't tell you if that's how you crack a safe but it, i'm not surprised to learn that that's how you crack a safe i mean that looked amazing yeah yeah that's it you know and on the surface you know the plot of the overall plot if you use like a two sentence you know description of it it's it's like you know big time thief uh, has to do one last job in order to get you know to get out of the business and go out on his own uh and and build like a family um <laughs> You know, when you get into the specifics of this movie, it, there's so much more going on to it, on with it, and and like you said, you know, you're seeing all the these close-ups of this, you know, that opening sequence, and again later on when they have the they you know rob the big the big safe and the big um, you know score that they're going after. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much time spent in setting up the equipment, and you know, mm-hmm. how do they how do and no. It also is to the advantage of having so much less technology. I, I don't think you could do it this way now. I, I mean, I don't know how... I don't hear often about people breaking into safes and robbing banks, you know, unless it's like the obvious way. Right. But uh, these guys are methodical. They're so... It's so particular and, and planned out. And I think they spend, like, 
you know, like eight weeks or something planning the robbery, you know, in the the big robbery in, in Los Angeles later in the movie. But, mm-hmm. you know, they have everything planned out like they don't there's no guessing. They know everything about this location, who will be there, who won't be there, how everything works mm-hmm. um, so that they can get in there. Because some of this stuff, I mean, they're lugging around, you know, equipment that's like drills that are like hundreds of pounds. Yeah. It, it, yeah, all very specific custom-made equipment and all that. And, like, it's funny, though, because there's all these, like, details of, like, breaking into the roof of that of that L.A. job uh, to the elevator shaft. And it's, it's you know, it's m- multiple minutes are spent just to get, like, dig it, to open the hole and to mm-hmm. get in and then, you know, and then get into the lines. But my, it doesn't matter. But, like, my question is, like, how the hell did they get on the roof <laughs> to begin with? Like, that's right. got to that's gotta be a whole thing. But, it, I, you know, that's not the part that matters. It's the actual, like, caper itself. Like, you know, h- how are you actually going to gain access to this thing? Mm-hmm. Um, which is, like, really great about it. And it's so hyper-specific. Like, you know, everyone everyone knows how you get on a roof. You take an elevator and you go up through the the stairs and then you're there so that but how do you get into a high security area and how what mm-hmm. equipment are you going to use that's when the that's when the, he takes his time with it so mm-hmm. which is like fun if it, and i like it it's like it's not slick and like stylized in the like the way you you do it modernly you know modern sense i think like where you don't have to show everything you just assume everyone's just really good at their job um, yeah, but they're like really good at their job because they know what they're doing and not because the script tells you, you know, right. They prove it to you. <clears throat> well, and they're like, you can tell they're like, they're working very hard. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is not easy and it's heavy stuff. And yeah. it's, you know, when they're drilling, it's hot and it's, you know, and you know, and he's got a whole crew, like mm-hmm. not a massive crew, but it's just showing you that. You know, each guy does a particular thing, and that's how a crew works, and it all flows together. One guy does the phones, and and they, you know, back then it's like the alarms were tied into the phone lines. So how do you get the, how do you figure out what the combination is? Because it's you don't like put the stethoscope like up to the, you know, the safe yeah. and and listen to it. It's it's planned out days and weeks in advance, and yeah. um, you know, one guy's the driver, one guy's the. Uh, you know, the equipment guy, one guy's the phone guy. And then, you know, Frank is sort of doing a little bit of everything and yeah. leading it. Right. Um, you know, and then later on in the movie that like, he has this special welding lance made. That's like, I, I forget what the temperature is, but it's like thousands of degrees hot or something that they yeah. have to like poke through the last lock with. Yeah. Um, once they've gotten through everything else. And I mean, that is like, you know, when they get into that uh, Los Angeles job, it, it looks like the, you know, out of, sort of out of the end of 2001, that that um, <laughs> big, you know, open room that they're in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <laughs> and the, like it's just it, the first time I saw it, I just I felt like it took forever uh, of just like watching them get into the actual safe itself. Yeah. Um, on subsequent viewings, like I was super fascinated with it because you're really seeing like close-ups of the drill and the lock and how the lock's being undone and really interesting visual shots. But that's typical Michael Mann. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's slowly walking you through the whole thing, and it's and it's worth it. Every every moment is is quite engaging. You're not it's not it's not shot like very it's not mundane. Like this is all very 
very specific stuff going on that you don't get to see. You don't you don't see this stuff. How do you how do you crack a safe? How do you how do you mm-hmm. how do you create seven thousand degrees worth of heat? And how would you manage that in a, an enclosed area? I don't right. know. It's so cool. It's just a cool movie. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I mean, again, that's like it goes back to the authenticity. You know, it, it he wanted it to be real, and and they were really that was a real safe that they were really breaking into. That was the goal. Was just like mm-hmm. you're gonna do it for real, James Con, mm-hmm. and we're gonna want we're gonna film you doing it. Oh, cool. So I think when on set when he when he finally got through, like everybody burst into applause because it was such it was a big deal. Yeah, because I mean these thick safes with all these different metals and alloys in them and it 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 takes very specific way to get through it and it's dirty and 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 dangerous and uh, it's awesome I, like that, that's like when when frank sits down after the they bust mm-hmm. in and he smokes and he smokes <laughs> yeah. and he it's like you i think it's the only time you really see him smile in the movie <laughs> like he's yeah he's just very pleased with himself like and feeling like i don't know it feels like he I think it's that moment where he thinks he's accomplished. This was the moment that he needed to get everything he wants, mm-hmm. you know, cause he's got yeah. a very, the reason he's still doing all this stuff is very specific. And Frank's journey is obviously a very particular one. And this was the solution to all his problems and he did it. So, uh, he, it felt like he could finally breathe kind of when it was all done. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, Let's let's circle back to like the journey of his character in a minute. I just want to talk about the cast and sure. uh, the again part of the authenticity feel of this movie is that nobody looks like a movie star. These are uh, another one of those seventies movies <laughs> that people look like real people. These are real human faces, not you know glammed up, overly made up movie stars who are trying to play a character. I mean, half of these people are real you know, in this, the real world of this. Um, but even James Kahn is like kind of, I don't know. He, he looks, he fits right. He doesn't look like a star. Jim Belushi, this is, you know, pre, let's say pre, uh, red heat, Jim Belushi. This is mm-hmm. pre, uh, canine. So not movie star Jim Belushi. Right, right, right. Um, you know, a lot of these guys too, it's their, you know, James Kahn is coming off of, James Kahn was, you know, had a big first half of the 70s uh, with Godfather and, and, you know, he was a big, big star after that. The second half of the 70s was a little bit lighter. He went in, you know, he did movies like The Gambler, which on the surface, you know, sounded like the right move, but I think the movie didn't really turn out the way it could have. Um, he's coming off of, uh, a Bridge Too Far, The Killer Elite, which is a very odd Sam Peckinpah movie, uh, Rollerball, which I love. Um, but he, uh, Michael Mann originally wanted, I think he originally wanted Jeff Bridges for this mm. role. Mm. I could see that. But picture 1980 Jeff Bridges. I mean, he was he was too young. Uh, that uh, you know, a few years later, maybe it would have worked. But he was, That's you know, true. he t- he still kind of looked like a kid at this point. That's true. Yeah, he and he was. Yeah, he's and he's you know, he's a handsome guy. Like not that James Conn isn't, but yeah, he didn't have the sort of the age and the sort of 
I don't know. You didn't have time weighing him down uh, the way it yeah. weighed down on James Caan, who I think, I mean, he's he's almost 40 in this movie, I think, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just that late 30s kind of guy who, and I just it helps inform his character who went through a real tough time in prison and uh, just sort of, you know, he spent a third of his life in prison and then now he's, he's just trying to do this do this last stuff. He's he's got a goal in mind to like this happiness that that thing. So yeah, I mean, yeah, Jeff Bridges would be interesting, but it'd be a totally different movie. Yeah, yeah, and then some other guys that were up for it: Gene Hackman, uh, Al mm. Pacino, mm. Roy Scheider were all up for the part. I, you know, I don't know who turned it down or what if it just didn't end up happening. But those were all uh, ideas for this role. I could see. Uh, I could see all those guys really doing it. Yeah. Um, but I feel like James Caan just, I don't know. He just, he's got that. James Caan has that real tough guy energy more than those guys have. You know, James Caan, especially around The Godfather, as he was researching it, really befriended a lot of mafia guys and kind of like dipped his toe into that world for a while. Oh. Uh, and you can feel that in this movie. He's mm-hmm. got that, like, he's intimidating. Oh yeah, he's scary. He's a scary guy. Yeah. When he when he because when he goes to collect his money from the 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 guy toward the beginning of the movie, and he's like, "I'm mm-hmm. not a, I'm not a guy you want to f with." Like, and I bought yeah. it. Like I like I yeah. thought he was just gonna blow him away <laughs> the first time. Yeah. Like, he's just gonna shoot this guy in the head and and get his money or something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, anytime he's got to deal with anybody and and exude that toughness, like he, he is a presence. <laughs> he's scary. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a you know the scene where he grabs Jesse, uh, played by Tuesday Weld, out of her out of the bar after he's late for their date, oh, and yeah. like kind of throws her in his car, and he pushes this extra. Like that was spontaneous. You know, kind of he just did that, and the guy got the extra got really hurt oh, <laughs> emotionally geez. and physically. But, oh man. Um, yeah, like he, I would not want to get in his way. That's part of what I love so much about Sonny Corleone. I mean, I, mm. like he, you know, he is that character. Yeah, yeah. Do not mess. <laughs> don't mess with the con. Yeah. Note, note to self, don't mess with con. <laughs> um, but he does like some of my tweets when I tag him. So we got that going for us. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> Jimmy. Um, yeah. Jimmy Con. But, uh, you know, and he studied with real, you know, not just, uh, you know, John Santucci, but um, he he studied with other thieves that they, they were kind of connected with as well. So mm-hmm. he really, you know, he really got his head inside this character and uh, kind of like William Peterson in Manhunter had a really hard time when this movie was over of shaking that character off. And, and I, I, that's probably a somewhat common things things for actors who are in these very intense dramatic uh parts that you know when you when you get to that point where you partially become that person like how do you let go of that right right yeah it it can't you can't just turn it on and off i think when you're spending all that time for so long yeah it's uh, i could i can see that but um you know, Khan is just perfect for this movie, um, and the rest of the cast is great. Like Tuesday Weld is is fantastic as Jesse. Um, you know, she was a child actress uh, who was in you know a teenage actress who was in 
Who'll Stop the Rain and Looking for Mr. Goodbar. And then you'd see her again in Once Upon a Time in America, which we're definitely going to cover on this show, which that's a few years after this. But Mm -hmm. really strong performance. You know, Michael Mann and women characters isn't usually the best mix. No. Um, (laughs) And you can tell that she's a character that is written by a guy um, and not really, uh, I don't know, how how would you say it? Like not really seeing things as a woman would really see them. Right. Yeah. She, yeah. It's sort of like what a guy thinks a woman sees things like you know like yeah it's like a a man's perception of a woman's uh, idea you know i don't know so but she actually yeah for his is in if i don't know she it's a tough role to be in i think but she actually does it really well um i think it's like a thankless role uh in the Mm -hmm. movie um because you know all she is is really a prize for him you know and like she He's got that collage. She's and part he, of his goal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like he, he, he needs, he wants a wife and a child and he wants, he wants a house and he wants, uh, you know, he wants a, a peaceful life, whatever he thinks life is supposed to be when you're not a crook and, or in jail. And, um, so he's got this like warped sense of like what, what he wants. And I mean, he barely talks to her and he basically monologues to her and it's a great monologue. Um, about why about who he is and what he's looking for and and she just sort of agrees and we don't see them date or anything you know like but they get married right. pretty quickly i mean i don't I, I don't know how long this movie takes place over you know like just a couple of months i'm gonna assume um yeah i would say it's uh, my guess is it's around probably like six months yeah so um you know it, the relationship with her isn't isn't is not important to to Frank. Therefore, there's not a lot to to depict. There's no reason to depict it. It's just there. You know, she is a prize. Um, but I think I think well, she's part. She, I, I almost called her Wednesday, <laughs> but <laughs> Tuesday. Well, I think for what what she was given, and I think she's got a, a, at least enough to do. As a as a foil to him, that I, I yeah I appreciate how well she did with it. But well, there's certain scenes where she's really given a chance to shine. You know, the, the diner scene is yeah. the other like major scene in the movie as far as the characters go. It's where they kind of reveal their true selves with to each other. I mean, you know, you you mentioned that that I think maybe they kind of been flirty with each other. You know, because yeah. it, it does seem like she knows him a little bit you know he's probably come to that diner where she works or the the restaurant where she works a few times and maybe they've talked a little bit but then you know he's basically making his first move here sets up the date is late for the date because we'll get into that later but uh, you know and then throws her in the car reveals you know kind of his truth to her uh Mm -hmm. and then they go to this diner where they continue down that road and have this really honest putting all cards out on the table kind of mm-hmm. conversation. And that's, that's actually the scene where that James Kahn took the movie because of this scene. Oh, nice. I can see that. It's a great scene and it's about them. Like, yeah, being so honest and not putting up a, you know, a fake impression or their best, best impression of themselves, you know, to make sure there'd be a second date. It's like, it's like cutting past all the, the courtship and all that stuff and the small talk. And it's, it's real. 
between them. So, he, you know, I, it is, it's, it's just sort of like a fast track to, to them being in a certain place, um, which is really neat. You know, there's no bullshit between them. Yeah. And she, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's her big scene in the movie. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you know, she does, I think as much as she can with, with the limitations of the character that, yeah. you know, she's with him, she's around, she's got the baby, she's reacting to him. It's kind of heartbreaking at the end of the movie, but we'll come back to that as well. <laughs> um, but she's a, she's a really great actress. I, I recommend those other films. And yeah. if you're not familiar with her, check, check more of her work out. She hasn't, you know, she pretty much left the business, I think about 20 years ago. And, and we've not, not seen Tuesday in a long time, but, mm. um, Maybe she'll make a return. Maybe. She's feeling it. <laughs> uh, you've got Willie Nelson uh, in, a, in a smaller role in this movie as Okla, who is his mentor, Frank's mentor and father figure. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Willie's not like the greatest actor in the world, but he's passable here. <laughs> yeah. Well, that scene in the, uh, in the prison is, is he's so warm. You know, it's, it's Willie Nelson and he's. He's got those eyes and that voice and he's smiling. He's, he's such a dad character or father mm-hmm. character that you understand it immediately. Um, their affection for each other and how, how their relationship really is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then you've got a number of actors who are making their very first appearance. Uh, Jim Belushi, we talked about, this is his first, I think he'd done a couple of, TV shows, but this is his first movie. Of course, the younger brother of John Belushi, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's funny. John kind of hung around the set a lot, and you know, being a Chicago native, like oh, he yeah. would open his bar. The Blues Brothers bar would be like the after party uh, oh. after they finished filming. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. But uh, this is God. I think this is one of Jim Belushi's best roles ever. Yeah, he's he's good. He doesn't really get a lot. You know. We've, He's not. There's not a lot for him to do, but yeah, he's good. Yeah, but he's precise. You know, again, he's like he's part. He's he's really Frank's like right hand guy. He's, yeah, he's part of his crew, but also, you know, I think you can believe there's a friendship there and there's yeah. history between the two of them, and um, you know, and maybe it's because he doesn't have a lot of dialogue and a lot to do that I, I just really like his performance in this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I think it's a strong one. And then, of course, he went down, you know, followed his brother's footsteps and went down the comedy route for the most part yeah. for the rest of his career. I like his. I like some of his comedy um, movies. Some of them, yeah. Real, Real Men? So. With John Ritter? Come on. Real, I, that's what I was about to say. That that one's great. I love Real Men. I love Real Men. That's that's a fun one. We'll have to do that when we're yeah. in an 80s comedy kick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Robert Prosky, who was a, a really a theater actor at this point, and hmm. uh, but I think he's like about 50 years old. This is his first uh, his first movie role as well huh. um, as as Leo, uh, who's sort of his. You know his his secondary father figure slash boss slash enemy and rival and the villain of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. He uh, you know we he'd be in tons of other movies through the eighties and nineties like The Great Outdoors and mm-hmm. you know sometimes kind of a lovable grandfathery type most of the time I think he was that. Yeah, well he played uh, he played that uh, vampire. <laughs> guy in Gr- gremlins 2 the new batch which <laughs> <All right. laughs> my favorite role of his 
Um, we see really small roles for uh, Dennis Farina, yeah. who was also a Chicago cop and would become one of Michael Mann's like regular actors. Uh, mm-hmm. He's in Crime Stories and Manhunter. You know, he appears in a number of things over a period of time uh, for for Mann. Uh, but he's, I think, Leo's one of his bodyguards uh, in this film. Mm-hmm. We also see William Peterson as a bartender slash bouncer for one scene. Almost, he's almost an extra. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I forgot about that <laughs> when I watched it <clears throat> that he was in it, and that that. I mean, did he know Michael Mann? Since I mean, he was the lead in. I don't five years later. I don't think. I think. Yeah, I don't think they, I, I mean, I don't know for sure, but from what I could tell, I, I don't think they knew each other before this. Got it. Um, you know, he was a local Chicago actor, and, yeah. uh, you know, I believe they hit it off after this. And, you know, and he had also, his career started after this movie, so there's about five years between Thief and Manhunter. So by the time Manhunter rolls around, like, he's already he's already a leading man, or at least showed that he could be a leading man. So, mm-hmm. um you know, man circled back with him there and he's so amazing in Manhunter, but it was, it was very cute to just see him pop up real quick and, mm-hmm. you know, blink and you could miss him. Yeah. Tom Signorelli is another who's mostly a TV actor who, uh, is again, one of the villains in the film and, uh, the guy who ends up, I think that he's the guy who has, uh, Frank's money in the beginning of the movie, which starts this situation yeah. where Frank gets involved with Leo. But, yeah. um, you know, he looks like a gangster, so I think it was very fitting for him. <laughs> he looks like a gangster. He does. He looks like he can be a gangster. I guess so. Yeah, I can. I can. I I buy it. You know, the cast is all. I, I love a great group of actors. Uh, whether new to the acting profession or not, uh, it, it works in favor of the movie. Yeah. Uh, but Frank's let not, let's talk about Frank's character and his his like you said his journey through the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like Frank? Um, no, for the most part, no. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not a fan. But I respect him, so I'd be like I'd yeah. be I'd be like one of the cops beating the shit out of him <laughs> in the film. Like I don't like. So him. you'd be a corrupt cop. I'd be a corrupt Is that what cop. You're saying? I'd be one of the six corrupt cops who were beating the absolute oh hell out of him. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't be. I, I, I would tell on those cops. Um, but uh, I, you know, by yeah, by the end, I, I, I kind of, I kind of respect him in a sense of I don't know, and I feel sorry for him, you know. But I don't like him, especially in the beginning of the movie. He's such a, such a dude, like a terrible guy. <laughs> I think. Yeah, well, he's he's not. You're right. He's not a likable character, but you do learn to respect him very yeah. quickly. And you know, I think you can re- respect that structure. He has this very tight structure of his life, and and that that he's built. Yeah. Uh, you know, his backstory is that he went uh, what he went to prison for a few months for something for like a really low level crime, and then in jail, it's insinuated that he was. He was attacked by a group, whether it was a, a an attempted gang rape or or what. They they kind of only hint at it. Yeah. <clears throat> but he ends up fighting back and killing the like leader of whatever that group was, and so he's, you know, he he gets 
very badly hurt and once he gets out of the hospital he's back in jail for like i think it's like 11 years or something yeah something like that and you know while he explains in that scene in the diner that the only way to like make it through prison like in a violent prison like that was to be able to like not care and just turn everything off turn all your feelings and your emotions and just you don't care about life anymore and then suddenly you can just you can get by you can survive right right that's why he wasn't he got to that mental place that's why they didn't bother to kill him because he just had nothing like right no revenge was taken yeah but it's so incongruent yeah. with like, I mean, I, that's how you survive prison. But then he, he almost like that's almost how he lives his life after prison. Mm-hmm. And so he's still hanging on to this idealism of like what his life could be. And they're incongruent. Like, how do you what do you mean? Like he wants his father figure and, a, and his wife and his and his children and like a, and a straight lifestyle. And how do you get that if you don't care, you know? So uh, it, I think it's bec- I think he's sort of like fighting with himself. I think he actually does care. Um, and that's and that's why everything gets turned around on him. Like, this is why he fails. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, he he can't have it because he does care. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you see, you see while he's in prison, you see this collage that he that he had built while he was in there. Um of all this, you know, his goals, his life goals. And it's got a wife and a baby and Okla, which is Willie Nelson and cars and a house. And, you know, this is like, he, he keeps it in his wallet that like, he needs to remind himself, like, this is what he's working towards. He right. wants to ultimately get enough money so he can get out of the, the, the thieving business and create this life for himself and start over. And then, be almost be a real person at that point yeah but he's not there yet yeah but it's weird he's he's got a legitimate business he's got he's got two legitimate businesses right he's got the bar and Mm -hmm. he's got the bar and the car dealership car dealership like not to say he'd be a rich man but he's got he's got money in those things you know and then you know he's he had that one score and i think it was for like one hundred eighty-five thousand. um that's a nice way you could start a life like you wh- like what are you going to do just be rich and not like have like a, a like a career like i mean if he just wants to just have like a big fancy home or something and not have to like make money i guess that works but he's well he's, i he's think delusional uh, <laughs> i think part can... of it is those businesses are fronts those aren't like yeah yes they sell cars and yes it is a bar but it's not like I don't think he cares how how successful it is. So some of that money, I think, goes to those to just keep them, yeah. you know, whatever, making it look like that that's where he's getting his income from, even though it's not. Right. Um, right. So some money goes to that. And I'm sure, you know, I, I think it's clear at the end that he has a tremendous amount of money in some some kind of savings, probably some kind of cash situation somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I think for a guy like that, there's never enough money in there because as you'll find, you know, run into by the end of the movie, if you have an emergency situation, you need a lifetime's worth of money. So right. uh, there's, it's never enough. But I think 
you know, he, it's, it's never like laid out like I need two million dollars and I'm good. You right, know, it, yeah. it's just like one more big score will put him over that financial edge where he is comfortable for the rest of his life and uh, and can move on. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, in the beginning of the movie, we see the the he is, you know, he usually steals either diamonds or cash, um, like anything, something that would be insured. Right. So he's got these this diamond theft that he misses the payout for because the guy who's paying him out has been murdered and his his money's gone, which is how he meets up with Tom Signorelli. He finds out that's the guy who has his money, and that leads to this big meeting with Leo, who is this crime boss who controls a lot of Chicago. Uh, and, you know, Leo pitches him about joining his team and he can, you know, he'll take care of him, anything he needs. He'll be part of, part of a kind of a system and his money instead of cash, it'll be, you know, uh, invested for him. So he'll have, uh, you know, he'll have, uh, you know, his own investments really. And that's not what Frank wants to do, but you know, he's tuned on to this uh, or turned on to this, one particular score in LA which is like the job he's been looking for Mm -hmm. so he's sort of blinded by his own dream to you know take the take the short-term money so he can get out but in doing that he's making a deal with the devil yep yep this bad guy Leo's a bad dude and he doesn't he doesn't see it at all he does yeah he just thinks like yeah, this is my one score like because he lives by because frank does live by his code like he 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 does speak honestly so it's like i don't i he he only does certain types of jobs and um he, he just has that expectations it's a business he's in for himself he's not trying to like he's not uh gonna get tied up in anything so he thinks like he, he just expects people to respect that you know that I just need this big job, one score and I'm out. And, you know, Leo ties all his money into into this other stuff and basically screws him. And so that's why. Well, and, and he wants him as part of his crew. Like, you yeah. know, he's one of the best thieves that I'm sure that he's seen. So yeah. he wants to keep him working. Yeah. So he wants to basically make him make Leo wants to just keep him trapped. Um and yeah, like just Frank had no idea that that was coming and you could almost believe it well, because Leo was taking care of him, kind of honoring everything that he like the devil, like just sort of giving him everything he needed. Frank got everything he he wanted through this guy, but he doesn't see that that just that keeps him locked and handcuffed to him. Well, he becomes that uh, that kind of second father figure to him that he's, yeah. you know, he helps him buy his house he helps him get adopt his baby after the adoption agency like won't take Mm -hmm. him you know as a as a client because of his criminal background right uh so he helps get him all of these things that he wanted that are on his collage that's his life goals but frank you know doesn't he's betrayed himself really um kind of sold himself out and doesn't see it that of course it's going to end up that way he should have he should have never agreed to it Mm. um and then ultimately you know when he after the big la score when he goes to make get the payout like that look on james Kahn's face is just priceless when he looks in that envelope and sees how light it is yeah yep and then he's 
it the I, I I that's when I did feel bad for him at that point. Like I had pity for him. Like oh man, like you you fool. You look what you've done. You've like betrayed your own code. Like you weren't supposed to do this, but you're trying to cut corners. Um, and it's funny because I think I think there's a line even Leo says like you got to round out the corners. You know you got to make mm-hmm. this smooth. You know like this this could be good. I'm trying to convince him that this would be the the good lifestyle, but. Right. This is, this is and he's not way. I mean he's not necessarily wrong. It's just not what Frank wants. Yeah. Yeah. And Frank is he can't compromise to that. You know, he's going to he's he can't compromise to what his like what he thinks his true heart desires, you know? Like so he mm-hmm. he's not going to say, "Well, okay, we'll do it for we'll do it for a few more years." So it leads to huge yeah. consequences when he tries to tries to i mean he kind of humiliates leo and he does his tough guy act like he's pretty he's so so threatening so that leo leo has to respond in kind yeah and that's uh leads to uh the offing of mr belushi which which the the first time i saw this i was it made me sad yeah he's just like his lovable little buddy you know yeah they're just doing jobs together and then yeah He's getting the crap beat out of him, and then just gets absolutely blown away. Like, oh boy! Yeah. Really well, they get ambushed, and uh, yeah. you know, Belushi's killed, and he's, you know, that the scene where you know they've got James Khan on the ground, and and that Leo's like lecturing at him about how it really works, and you see this complete dark side of Leo and mm. how dangerous and evil he is. Um, it's quite scary. Robert Prosky's fantastic. Yeah. Agreed. I wouldn't want to mess with either and of then, these guys. Yeah. And then the end of the film comes, I, I felt like it came very quickly after that because he, Frank, you know, it, it cuts to him kind of recovering and he's looking in the mirror and he, he knows he makes this decision of what he has to do next. And it's what, it's what he's taught himself to just turn everything off and, you know, shut everything out. And he's going to sh- kill his own. He's going to, destroy his own life yep and you know and not caring if he if he is killed in the process or if he lives Uh, if he lives he lives and if he dies he dies um but you can see it all in that scene where he kind of just you know bangs his head against the the mirror um yeah and it's sad i mean he just he is like a you know a ghost of himself that there is no that the lights aren't on anymore you know frank's gone and this this shell is there and he you know kicks out jesse and with the baby and he's got you know his other the other member of his team he's like you know tells her you're gonna pay him x amount of dollars you know the first month and the the second month and he's gonna take care of you and like i'm assuming he's giving her most of his money to live off of and kicks them all out of his life yep yep uh and i i love the you know then he goes on the attack and goes on the offense and i i think that's uh, i love the end of the movie i think it's i think it's fantastic (laughs) i i do like the tension of it i think a lot of good moments i think i do i do feel it's a little it's a little when he and leo have their final moment and uh like when he catches them around the corner and then the outdoors the stuff outdoors where now all of leo's guys are around and some 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 of it i mean i don't want to say it's clunky but i think some of it's a little it is a little clunky in terms of how it 
it all plays out, but uh, you know that's that's fine. It's it's not the biggest deal, but it, I it almost I almost I guess wanted like like some interaction with with them all, or at least with Leo. But I guess all the everything's been said that needs to be said. There's no yeah emotional. I mean, it appeal. would feel too. Right, it would feel like over dramatic. It wouldn't. It wouldn't feel right if they said something. You know, had another talk. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I guess maybe. So, I don't know. I, I don't think it's bad. I think, and I mean, it, 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 the movie ends like perfectly for Frank. I mean, you know, the the way it's depicted, um, like the mm-hmm. very end. Um, but yeah, no, I, I did feel like at any point he was going to get murdered, and um, like he, like how could he survive this? But of course, he took some precautions, and uh, yeah. you know he knew he probably would be taking a bullet, so he had his bulletproof vest on, and uh, got got away. Good for him. It's uh, it's so yeah, sad. And it, it is. It's kind of heartbreaking. Again, not because you like him. It's just you you respect him, and and you can feel for him having gotten screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there, there is an alternate ending, and I don't know if it was one that was shot, but it was definitely one that was written, uh, where, you know, it's some time later, after the the you know the attack at the end of the film, it's some time later, and Jesse ends up finding him, you know, yeah. that he's gone some house on the beach, and uh, you know, she, she confronts him and they reunite and that's the end of the movie, but it's her finding him. Like she oh. tracked him down. Wow. That'd be, I think it's, it wouldn't work, but yeah. I, I guess I'd, I kind of would like it, but I would think that that makes it, that it's a, not as a strong film with that ending tacked on. Yeah. Like maybe for, I mean, I think as a script, it works that way, you know, or yeah. maybe like a novel, but, uh, as a film, it's much more powerful. Like mm-hmm. what is Frank's, what is he going to do? He lived, okay? So now he has to rebuild everything again. And can he do that? Can he even do it? What do you think his next move is? I don't know. I think he's I think uh, I think he's done. I, or I think he's done with the idealism. I think he's just going to be a guy that does jobs and you know, it's it's the thing he's best at. Is you know, he's a criminal. Um who's and he's really good at those tasks so i i feel like he just kind of me he's just gonna meander and and i don't know find a new outlet for his criminal activity see that's that's where i come back to that theory of he could like really more than the other characters even this is where he could lead right into de niro from heat you know that's another what 15 years later or something you could argue that you know 10 15 years later that he has started over. He has just dived right back into the the, the world of of uh, you know big scores and and done bigger and bigger jobs. But um, you know it's cycled around again, where he's again got that itch to move on and start you know another life for himself. Uh, so I don't know. I, I feel like those movies are really connected on a on a core level. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I I didn't realize too for a long time that the the music at the end was the instrumental uh, version of "Comfortably Numb" from Pink Floyd. Oh right, that's what. Okay, yeah. I sense. I thought it was part of this. So I just 
I know the song well. I just never put it together that that was that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was just part of the the amazing Tangerine Dream score. Mm-hmm. And then when I got that score and it wasn't on, I'm like, what? But what about the end? What? Uh, and then I did some research. Like, oh yeah, that's just comfortably numb. Comfortably numb. Interesting. That's right. I didn't. Which is a great, that. you know, a great song symbolically to put with Frank's character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you like the Tangerine Dream score? Does it work for you? Because I have, I love it. I mean, I think it's it's very, the electronic, that moody electronic and kind of industrial feeling works for this character. Um, it doesn't work for, it's a very specific sound that doesn't work for, wouldn't work for all movies, but I think it fits here. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat there. Like, it's very complimentary to Frank and, and just the tone of the film. Um yeah, no, I really liked it. I, it, it, it fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. And the score is actually almost the same as their album called Force Majeure uh, that they used. Um, the editor, Dove Honig, and uh, Michael Mann used that score as like a temp track for the movie. Mm-hmm. But they just kept it in and kept editing around that temp music. So finally, they were just like, well, why don't we just use these guys and you know have them make the score based on their album so it's very very similar like if you if you get the album i mean it'll sound almost identical it's just different music cues and different sure you know the the pacing of it some of the songs are you know laid out differently but the songs themselves are essentially the same huh well they did yeah they did a great job so that that's funny like they it <laughs> the soundtrack helped inform the, the edit and then they brought them in to to really like come up with their own sound for that cut and it ends up right. sounding just like the stuff they were using so I, I, that's <laughs> that's wild they basically just re-recorded their album yeah as the score yeah there's also a couple of other you know michael mann uh typical michael mann moments in in the movie that you'd see in several of his other films mm-hmm. uh you see when when there's the big meet in earlier in the movie between frank and leo that mm-hmm. jim belushi's you know covering him with a sniper rifle from afar mm-hmm. uh it's almost the same scene in heat uh with de niro and val kilmer mm-hmm. is covering him mm-hmm. um so you know another similarity there also that you know he likes to use water as cleansing and water as happy place sort of and um cleaning cleaning your soul a little bit that's where you know here you get uh frank and uh, belushi's character and their their girlfriends or wives are are all together on the beach after the big job and things are good things are looking good all they need is their money which they're going to get in the next couple of days and then they can they get what they want yeah. Uh, it doesn't work out that way a lot of the time. Um, you see, you know, De Niro's character in Heat, I believe, lives on the beach. So you've got that overview. He's always watching out in the water. Uh, there's water in the Insider where Pacino lives on the beach. Um, you know, it does come into play in a lot of Michael Mann's films. Yeah, I think uh, in Manhunter, William Peterson lived on the beach or a lake. Yes. Side, right? Yep. Yeah. And Miami Vice, of course, is Miami. a lot on the water. Well, he's a Chicago boy, Michael Mann. You know, he he had the Lake Michigan right there. 
you know that's uh <laughs> this landlocked they're not landlocked but you know there's no o- access to ocean but you you this giant lake which does have some you know a little bit of a, a cresting waves at times but um, yeah it's just uh yeah, water's all around yeah it's he's um oh, never mind uh, and this movie was uh, was James Caan's favorite performance uh, really? of of all of his roles. Yeah, this was. Uh, well, let me take that back. Besides Sonny Corleone, because I think that's it's clear that's kind of the number one for him. Uh, but this was really this was really his favorite. And uh, again, it goes back to that scene at the diner. He it was a very you know it's a moving scene, and um, he was also a little bit shocked at his own performance of how icy he was when he decides to turn everything off and get rid of his his wife and his child and Mm -hmm. everything he worked for he was a little like oh he's uh that james con that's not me (laughs) (laughs) um i i had a hard time finding some some box office info for this movie there's not a lot out there um, I did see that it made around, I think the Mojo said, eleven million or something like that. I want to say. Yeah, I I saw the budget was about five and a half million, and mm-hmm. it looked like they made about eleven and a half. Yeah. Worldwide, but I couldn't really get uh, get more specific than that. The movie is released on March twenty seventh, nineteen eighty one. You know, I don't think it was i i don't know what else was coming out around that time but this this feels like it was a small release kind of quietly put out there i'm sure it was advertised in fact the original title of the movie is called violent streets of which i have a poster oh you have a poster of violent streets yeah it's it's a poster of thief but the title is violent streets and it's like this drawing of James Caan kind of like he's in a suit. I think it's t- a still taken from where he's in his uh, car dealership in mm-hmm. the, like early in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is holding a gun in that. Oh, I see. And there's, there's several different posters. I mean, there's one, I think the famous one is this really intense close up of him, you know, doing the robbery. Uh, and he's got those goggles on and it's a lot of reflection and light in it. Mm. Uh, cool. Wow, I, that's funny that I didn't. Why did they? Was it going to be released with that title, and then they changed it like at a certain point? Yeah, like, I think so. I think it, it, I think it was just a a studio call, catchier yeah. title. You know, yeah. thief. You yeah. know, kind of rolls off the tongue. I don't know. It was that seems like a studio move to me. Yeah, that works. It's a good title. What do you think, um, you know, how do you think its legacy is? Uh, how do you think it holds up now? And what do you think, you know, what do you think of it looking back on it? I think, um, uh, I think it holds up for the most part. Um, I think it, it's very, it's a very specific story. It is of its time. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's got that 70s sort of nihilistic view of the worlds <laughs> with Frank. So, you know, it's kind of, um, and it, but, and it's, 
but it's good storytelling like for them like, the thing is it's, it's it's a really strong script as far as i'm concerned in terms of mm-hmm. if we're really focusing on frank and it, and it's such a hyper focus on him and what he's after um for the most part it works you know it's it's a very like you, you know, you're looking down like a, a telescope view. Like you can't see everything else around, but you're you're focusing on Frank, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think you get a good picture of him that way. So yeah, mm-hmm. and in terms, so I think you know, and and for what it does to sort of influence the rest of the '80s, um, for good or for worse, probably for good. Um, I think you, you can't discount that. Um, yeah, I don't know, and, and for what it does for. You know, Michael Mann busted out with this. I mean, this is a solid first movie. So, and mm-hmm. he and he gave us he gave us a bunch more that are a lot of fun. Um, yeah, in their Michael Mann way. And uh, so, yeah, I think I think it holds up. I think it's I think it's enjoyable. I think you th- and I think there's something to see on repeat viewings of it. Something new. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, most with most of which uh, of what you said, I, mm-hmm. I think. It, there, it, it is slightly dated in mm-hmm. that it does feel again like a, like a 70s movie and yeah. you know I think when you see things like robberies you know you automatically I think think about like how would that be done today couldn't do that today technology is so different that you know it couldn't be right. done like this so yeah. that just just that alone will date it a, a little bit but yeah, the characters, I mean, his character is so strong and the script is so well thought out and there's really not a lot of plot holes or anything that drags the movie down. No real, you know, bad performances or anything like that. Um, the visuals are so strong. It's this, it's kind of like, it is like Ridley Scott. It's this new visual look that hadn't really been seen before. And, and was such a huge influence in the 80s. I mean, you look at, you know, we were talking about the beginning, why I was thinking about it, when we were talking in the beginning of the show about 80s beer commercials, mm-hmm. that is so many of those commercials were taken from that Michael Mann style. The mm. wet streets, the light, you know, I remember a lot of Budweiser and Bud Light commercials are like, you know, you see these streets and these this bar and the way they're lit. It's all that Michael Mann style, huh. uh, which was probably that was more influenced from Miami Vice than it was from specifically from Thief. But this mm-hmm. gave birth to that. Huh. Wow. I'll have to, I have to go check out all these uh, beer commercials. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not just beer commercials. I mean, it's car commercials. It's sneaker sure. commercials. It's, yeah. you know, there's a whole bunch of things. But yeah. um, uh, there was such a it really was like one of the, the top visual looks of the 80s and mm-hmm. probably went through, you know, probably 90, 91 ish when when that started to change again. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so this is uh, it's more influential than people think and it's definitely worth a look if you haven't seen it in a while or if you haven't seen it at all and you've heard us talk about it and spoil all the plot uh points for you uh it's absolutely worth seeing um i can't imagine there's a michael mann fan out there who has not seen this movie yeah if you're a man fan this has got to be it's got to be one of your tops um or you know i don't or i don't see why you'd avoid it especially with 
who you're talking about in the film. You know, like yeah, um, yeah. This is or a James Con fan. If you're a Con fan, a Man fan, a Farina fan, um, you know, there's there's something. You gotta see early Farina. You gotta see. (laughs) It's funny because Farina shows up in like that early scene where he goes after the one monster guy in his office, Mm -hmm. and he's just one of the thugs there. And then I. And I'm like, oh, there's Dennis Farina, which I knew he was in it again, obviously. But then he doesn't, sh- you don't see him again for at least another hour, hour or two, hour and a half, like when he's like yeah. Leo's, one of Leo's henchmen. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. He's part of Leo's crew. That it's the whole crew. I mean, I could, yeah. unless he, I guess he is at the the scene at the, on the water, isn't he? But he doesn't. Yeah, he's. You do see him a couple of times, but you kind of have to look for him. Yeah, he doesn't get lines for the most part. Uh, no, he has a character. His name is Carl. He doesn't Carl. have any lines. That's right. He doesn't speak at all in the film. He, I mean, no. Yeah. He also physically seems larger, and I think it's just his wardrobe. He's got this black trench coat that yeah. makes just and the way you know. I think a lot of the times you see him, you're looking up at him, especially at the end. Mm-hmm. So he seems a little bit, you know, I don't know, just more of a physical presence than he would uh, in in the rest of his films. Well, he's got, I mean, Farina's got such an interesting look at, in general, like he, uh, that mug of his and that pom- mm-hmm. like that almost a pompadour haircut. And, you know, he's just like a long face, yeah. but, but it's also like, it's while so wide, like, so he's just like, he's got like a bigger head. So he just seems like a presence. And of course the stash, the Farina stash, yeah. so, <laughs> the Farina uh, stash. you know, uh, it's weird in those movies that were, where he didn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. He looks, he's a totally different guy. Um, yeah, they, and like, and it's, yeah, of the era, like, like you said, it's like dated in that certain way. Like you're, you're a parent, right. And you run in parent circles, right. Has anyone in Mm -hmm. the, like the last 10 years, 20 years named their child, Frank, (laughs) is there Franks running around? No, I, no, I don't think so. That's one of those names that, uh, was, I can see that name coming back. I have a lot of relatives named Frank uh-huh. on my Italian side, but um, you know they're all on the older side. So, and I and I mean, I guess most of them are named Francis, right? Like they're all Francis's. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, it's there was a very Catholic name too. Yeah, I knew one kid growing up who was a year younger than me in my school. His name was Frank. <laughs> mm. We all made yeah. Like, there's I got all made fun of him. I think. <laughs> Oh, like he had an old man's name. I mean, we were assholes, but uh, I mean, he was a nice kid. Like we liked him, but there were times where it'd be like, you know, Frank. <laughs> I don't know. It's not just sound like an old man. Yeah, I grew up. There's a couple of Franks in my class. My friend Eamon, his middle name is is uh, is Francis oh, Frank. Frank. So, yeah. yeah, giving out the personal information there. Yep. Docking. I didn't say last name. It's okay. okay. That's good. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, anyway, this, um, you know, this is a top, where do you rank it in Michael? I, I bet you haven't seen all of Michael Mann's films, but of the ones you've seen, where do you, where do you rank this one? Let's see. I've, um, I haven't seen them all, but I have seen one, two, you've seen the big three, ones. I'm pretty sure Four. um, yeah, thief, Manhunter, heat, Collateral, Public Enemies. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm missing a couple of, of, of good ones in there, but um, no, this is this is. I don't know. To me, they're all like they almost seem like they're all the same. I don't know. I'm probably top two, and I don't. I think 
I think just because I really like Collateral. <laughs> I really like Collateral. Wow, really? Oh, yeah. I thought that was a great Interesting. movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen well, Collateral. Yeah, Collateral's great, yeah. I haven't seen Collateral in maybe 10 years, though. I mean, it's... Um, I mean, I remember just really liking it. Um, it's a, you know, it's a good cast, but I mean, I like all of his movies. Like I haven't even public enemies, which I probably wasn't a big, I wasn't too hot on, but it was still, it was mm-hmm. still pretty good. And uh, yeah. I enjoy Manhunter. And, and I thought he probably would, I think I like heat more than I like thief. Um, well, heat's the popular one. Um, yeah. and obviously it's got a larger cast and more huge names. I mean, it's the yeah. first on screen meeting of Pacino and De Niro. And at the time that was so iconic. Yeah. It's, it's certainly got a, a, a an air of like crowd pleasing to it just cause yeah, like it's mm-hmm. big budget, big stars, just, it's just a bigger movie. Um, so I, I, and I think I like it more, but, um, I mean, it's solid. I mean. What about you? Where do you yeah, play with I, all your, your man man lists? This is top three for sure. Yeah. Uh, Manhunter's always going to be my number one. Okay. I do go back and forth between Heat and Thief as number two, though. Um, mm-hmm. I know sometimes, like, I, I've seen Heat probably 20 times. Oh, Jesus. And sometimes okay? that one... I, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that movie comes across a little too, you know, maybe maybe a little bit melodramatic to me, whereas Thief sure. doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so I think sometimes, and maybe it's just sort of mood dependent. Uh, so sometimes I give Thief that edge yeah. over overheat, and then other times it's like Heat is sort of like an opera, you know, it, yeah. it's it's a large scale movie and, and it's so well crafted too that yeah. uh, I appreciate that. So, yeah. but those are my top three, uh, but Manhunter will probably always stay as number one. But yeah. also, yeah, I love, I really like collateral. I really like public enemies. Yeah. Um, I need to see, you know, I really like the Miami vice pilot, even though again, technically he didn't direct it, but mm-hmm. uh, I feel like he did. <laughs> I was living in Chicago when he, did public enemies and they went, they shot at the real theater that the whole thing mm-hmm. went down and they read, mm-hmm. they redid the street. Um, to, to, to like, you know, like there's a, there was a Rite Aid there, but they redressed the windows to look like a pharmacy, you know, mm-hmm. mall shop, whatever. So they, they, they did all that. And then that's when I learned like you, they just have entire rolls of like a cobblestone, road that you can just roll out and create a cobblestone road so they just laid it on top oh, like, nice. i was like yeah i'm like movie magic is amazing like they literally <laughs> just had you know just giant giant uh you know rolls of it to put out but um yeah. i did i did hear a story as i was i knew and this is i guess conjecture but like i had heard a story of a, an actor who had a small role in the film um and talking with him and talking with his wife they recounted this story where like Christian Bale was awesome and he like he when they took a break he would run across to the Starbucks or the McDonald's and grab coffees for a bunch of people so then like ask mm. them like what do you like and so Bale would just go do that and then um and there was another time where some supposedly overheard like Michael Mann talking to somebody from Sony and they they iterated to him just to be clear, this is not a Michael Mann film. This is a Johnny Depp film. 
<laughs> I was like, oh my God. Oh you? no. I don't know. Couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> but that's what the studio was telling man. Like whatever Johnny wants is what's is what's gonna happen, not what Michael uh, no, Johnny Depp films are like fucking Pirates of the Caribbean and <laughs> things he's in crazy makeup on. That, no. that's, a, that's a Johnny Depp film. Well, that's, I mean, that's the pedestrian, you know, audience view of it. But like, they're just, they were putting him in his place. Like he, Michael Mann wasn't the most important person as far yeah, as this no, studio totally. yeah. yeah. I'm not saying it's Well, actually, you look at, you know. Right. You look at money. Yeah. yeah. That's what a studio is going to say. Yeah. So that, though, take those stories for what they're worth. It's third-hand knowledge but uh it's a little gossipy but still <laughs> i like that i liked it enough i'm well, i'm not not too hot on it but I, I like public enemies enough yeah 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 but uh thief i would also say is you know i, I agree that it's uh, probably top two james con performance it's sure. funny because like james con to me in my brain has there's two james cons mm-hmm. there's 70s into the early 80s James Con where he looks like Sonny Corleone mm-hmm. and then there's James Con in the 90s where he looks like that James Con yeah you know? for 30 he's got years like straight two, yeah like two different looks and there's no in between it's like uh Brian Doyle Murray right yeah yeah Brian exactly Doyle Murray has two there's ones. young Brian Doyle Murray and then there's the one we've known for 35 years <laughs> yeah <laughs> um the Wayne's World, Brian Doyle Murray. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the guy we know and love. Um, do you think? Um, do, do you think that David, the baby he gave away, could be Buddy the Elf, if you really think about it? And like, this oh, is the you same... just connected it again. The, I love it, David. I love people. that you. Wait, <laughs> are you David? <laughs> I'm not. I'm not David. I, I'm a, I'm about the right age though, so. Is this uh, the story of your parents? <laughs> yep. This is where I can This is what my folks did. <laughs> That's what my dad's life was. Uh, no, but that would be so. That's so hilarious. I'm. I'm. I'm dying inside right now because I had not thought of that. This is the prequel to Elf. Yeah. This, this is, is all right. I've got my my theory, my driver unification theory, but yeah. you've got your your thief elf theory. Yeah. I'm. I'm down with that one. And you can't spell elf without E and N F. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> which is also in thief. <laughs> oh uh, my god, I love it though. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Alright, well, you know, Jack Burton's, what do you give it though? Um our, our scale of 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 zero to thirteen Jack Burton's, uh what what do you think? Surprising me, I'm saying I'm thinking an, an easy nine or nine and a half. That's me. Okay. That's with that's all I can all right. say. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go higher. I'm going eleven. I knew it. I need to be an eleven. That's yeah. that, I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. It's it's, it's good well, movie. We'll, we'll have to uh we'll we'll have to see how other Michael Mann now that we've, you know, opened the door to the Michael Mann universe, mm-hmm. we'll have to see what we're gonna do next. I would actually even though it's not a feature film I would love to cover the Miami Vice pilot on this show. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> it's a two-hour, you know, story. Let's do it. Well, we're going to get to uh, the, you know, we've got the keep. We've got definitely Manhunter we're going to hit. Uh, maybe Last of the Mohicans at some point. And yeah. 
and uh, Heat, and there's a few others on, on the radar. But um, it'll be, uh, he's an interesting filmmaker, super visual filmmaker, uh, definitely not a, a typical studio filmmaker for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, uh, I, I look forward to doing more, more of his. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have to see. You know, we're, we're coming towards, we're entering into the fall, and you know what's around the corner. Your favorite month of the year. The, the one thing that David looks forward to uh, 11 months out of the year, it's how the month of Halloween time is coming. October. And we've got a lot of, <laughs> a lot of fun stuff that we're going to be looking at uh with some special guests it's going to be just it's going to be great we're going to have a great month next month i'm going to carry you through it you hate it so much uh but but you're going to have fun this year (laughs) i had fun last year i had yeah i had fun last year i I enjoyed that year the year before the first time was rough it was a rough year for me yeah (laughs) but we we picked we're going to pick fun things to cover, and that's how you're going to love it. So, I know, exactly. Uh, that, so, that's, that's why it worked last year. We had a, I liked our lineup last Shocktober. Yeah. <laughs> Shocktober. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so stay tuned for that, guys. Uh, thank you for listening. We want to also say a quick shout-out and thank you to our friends, uh, E.K. Wimmer, for the theme music. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he joined us uh, recently for Assault on Precinct 13, and he, I'm sure he's going to be back again down the road. Um, we are now exchanging videotapes as well. Oh uh, so, so that's fun. Uh, but check out his podcast, Laser Graves, where you know they take a look at a lot of horror and uh, genre films from the 80s uh, and see, you know, really just they break down, they go in and they like walk through the plot of the movie and, and the mm-hmm. movie itself. But it, it's a fun show. Take a look at that. Yeah. Uh, and thank you to curtis moore for the poster as usual uh it's always a fun look fun look back at uh you know when when we uh, had our amazing photo shoots for these for these updated posters so mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> thank you curtis. Uh, but and uh check us out anywhere you download podcasts uh, wherever you're listening to it right now i'm sure uh podbean stitcher spotify apple podcasts iHeartRadio. uh where else that's that's a lot of them right yeah yeah i mean i'm sure we're on almost every outlet for podcasts so if we're not give us a shout and we'll get on we'll get on your favorite podcast outlet and if there's a a system for rating and reviews don't forget to uh drop you know drop some info there and and that always boosts the uh, profile of the show and you can find us on social media at reconsideration podcast on twitter instagram facebook uh, or at www.reconcinemation.com. We've got, you know, two and a half years almost worth of uh, archived episodes. There's so many great films in there. So, you know, check those out if you're bored. Uh, go into the archives and pull out any random episode. They're all great. They're all great. All great. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, stay tuned for Shocktober here at Reconcinemation. Uh, coming up soon, and we'll see you next time on Reconsinimation. Bye now. <laughs>